this weekend down at my home temple in North Carolina um, is Jukai weekend. They're going to be holding a Jukai ceremony or a precept ceremony tomorrow afternoon. And um, part of the precept ceremony um, includes the weekend of Sashim um, right before. So they started yesterday afternoon. It usually happens, this is happening a little late this year, it usually happens in April. My teacher likes to do it around the Buddha's birthday in this sort of symbolic way every two years. But because of the circumstances, of course, with COVID and uh, all the stuff that's going on, uh, it got moved this year to uh, tomorrow instead of April 8th. It's kind of strange for me to, uh, this year to not be at the Jukai ceremony. I moved here, um, it'll be two years in September that I moved here, back here to, to New York from North Carolina. So distance um, is not, and some other obligations. Um, well, I won't be able, I wasn't able to do it this year. It's really weird because I've been doing it, uh, the Jukai ceremony, for years and years since the early 90s when I first took Jukai. And I've missed a few because of travel or because of illnesses and things like that. Um, but it's always been a constant in our practice at my home temple. I've presided over two of them myself. I did two Jukai ceremonies for some prison inmates um, some years ago. Did that a couple of times. So like I said, it's a constant for, for me. It's a constant in this practice. I'm pretty sure most of you know what taking the precepts um, ceremony is, what Jukai is. Um, it's a very, I think it's probably the most important of the ceremonies in this tradition. I'm not gonna speak for other traditions because it comes up so much. Taking the precepts um, is always the gate for practice. It's the gate for when you decide that you want to live as a Buddhist, that you want to live by the Dharma uh, as a lay person. And that's usually how most of us um, come to um, participate in that ceremony. Um, it's also part of the ordination ceremony. It's also part of the transmission ceremony. So gate, 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 depending on the trajectory of your practice. It's not an ordination in itself, 
but they are vows. Yeah. The vow to um, live according to the precepts set out by the Buddhas of old. As part of the, the um, day today, for the folks in North Carolina, my teacher will be speaking on the precepts, or she has already done it. I forget what time it is now. <laughs> they start at 9.30 with a Dharma talk for the Saturday morning. So uh, she's already spoken. Uh, the title of her talk today um, went something like um, the precepts were already here, you know, when the Buddha sat down on the, under the Bodhi tree. And that kind of refers to this, the, so, uh, it's said that the um, precepts were passed down from Buddhas long before Shakyamuni through Vairochana Buddha to Shakyamuni Buddha. So the precepts, the Bodhisattva precepts existed before Shakyamuni Buddha was enlightened under the Bodhi tree. There's some, it doesn't make it seem more mystical or permanent or anything like that to say it in that way. But there's some deep truth to it that has always and continues to be for us. For my talk, I kind of went back to Dogen, Lord help us, because he did the essay on receiving the precepts, Fascicle 83's Jobo Genzo. And basically, um, in it, he says, one thing. We should receive and accept the Bodhisattva precepts for this is how we reach the entryway into the Dharma, which I just paraphrased. This is our way, this is our guide through the, through the gatepost um, via these bows. The whole um, essay is basically him saying that several ways and several times. That we can't get there without this basic practice, without this basic intent uh, to follow the precepts. And then he goes through the what, it, when I first saw this, you know, so many years ago, um, it was after I had taken Jukai. And I remember the first Jukai that we did for um, the, Zen, the Zen group that I was with down in North Carolina. Um, and we had to figure out how to make the script of the, of the 
ceremony so everybody would be on the same page and we'd all, of course it was a total chaos when we finally got to it, because it always is. No, it went fine. It actually went pretty well for people who had never seen such a ceremony before or gone through it before and really didn't know what the heck we were doing. Um, it went pretty well. A little stumbling over cushions and that kind of thing, but that's okay. But um, I remember putting this sort of script together, you know, to tell you when to stand up and when to bow and when to do chokey and, you know, what words to say. And I remember sometime after that coming across this fast called Dogen's and saying, oh my God, we could have just cut and paste. Why are we, you know, all of that, you know. I think we eventually used, um, my teacher's from Minnesota Zen Center and they sent us their script that they'd been using forever and ever, you know, in the tradition. But basically, the whole um, movement of this is going through the bodhisattva precepts, the 16 bodhisattva precepts. That is the refuges, that's the three refuges, the three pure precepts, and the 10 grave precepts. The three refuges are something that we know. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. You know, it's kind of said in, in more um, volumeless language. You know, I humbly take refuge in the Dharma, the most venerated among those who have forsaken their, their passions. Those kind of things, um, sort of paraphrased in different ways. I'm sure at different Zen centers everywhere, they have some, um, some scripts, some version, some translation that's used. You take refuge and when I think of taking refuge, you know, you think that I rest with the Buddha, I rest with the Dharma, I rest with the Sangha, I am safe with the Buddha, I am safe with the Dharma, I am safe with the Sangha. Um, I am accepted in the Buddha, I am accepted in the Dharma, I am accepted in the Sangha. All of the things that, you know, this comforting sort of open space to be um, with all beings in the Dharma, with the Buddha, with all of us. You know, those are the first part, that's the first um, portion of the bodhisattva vows that we take. Because we have to do that first uh, in order to do anything. Uh, the second portion of the vows being the three pure precepts. Doing only good doing what is good for the sake of all sentient beings, doing no evil. It's kind of saying the same thing. It's doing um, 
what is wholesome is the translation is that my temple use. What's going to make everything whole. What's going to include everything. What's going to heal everything, bring everything together, stitch together the, the wounds um, that we've made. the three pure precepts. And then next, the 10 grave or prohibitory precepts, not to kill, not to steal, not to lie, not to misuse sex, um, not to delude other people or intoxicate others, um, not to speak ill of others and praise ourselves, not to um, disparage the Dharma, to freely give, to be generous with self and with Dharma. All of these things. That's the basis of practicing the Dharma, the basis of taking refuge of doing no harm in the world, or as little harm as possible in the world, and doing your best, or my best, for the sake of all beings. And then to avoid um, acting in ways that um, cause harm, that are deluded, that feed my own delusion, or feed others' delusion you know, these 10 precepts. The 16 Bodhisattva precepts are all that's taken in most um, Zen uh, traditions that I know of. There may be others that I'm not aware of. Um, except for um, Thich Nhat Hanh's group, or the Vietnamese Zen, which I'm not sure if it's, it's the same for all Vietnamese Mahayana uh, groups. I haven't done that much research. Um, we're, we take the 16 Bodhisattva precepts and not the Vinaya. The Vinaya being those 200 and, or 300 you know, rules for living in in monastic life in uh, those traditions. The Vinaya is very specific about certain things, about what you can and cannot do, um, who and what can do, who and what can do what and why, you know. I've always said that the Bodhisattva precepts are kind of, um, an overview of that because all of the Vinaya is basically, you know, it's, it's, it's trying to make things simple for the monastic, kind of based on the Bodhisattva precepts. I'm not sure which came first. I think the Bodhisattva precepts have actually came after. But um, the Bodhisattva precepts kind of cover 
all of those things that are in the Vinaya. If you um, live by the Bodhisattva precepts, then the decisions that you make, um, the directions that you go in, um, how you treat each other in the monastery, all come back to these basic Bodhisattva precepts. It, uh, the way the uh, transmission came to Japan, I'm not going to go into that because I've forgotten most of it. But anyway, the way the, the trans transmission came into Japan, they never took the Vinaya. Um, but they did have the Bodhisattva precepts. And so that's what's been handed down through the Zen traditions, as I understand it. So if you go into, that's why if you go into a uh, Theravadan or, you know, and my teacher once um, went to Plum Village, even if you have been a Zen monk for 30 years, they put you with the novices because you still haven't taken all of the, you haven't taken the Vinaya. Um, they don't recognize that. Not the same the other way around, though. I just think that's interesting. But, uh, yeah. But in our tradition, you know, as I said, these are very important. These are gates are that you enter in to each level, quote unquote, level. There's not really levels, but each type of practice. So at this point, I have, in a sense, done Jukai almost every two years. I won't go all the way back to the 90s, but at least every two years since 2010 as being part of the temple. And the reason I say that is because in even just arranging the ceremony uh, for other people to receive their raksus and receive their kechimiyaku and, and to say these words in the ceremony um, is to participate, is to walk through that gate again and again to have to say these words. There are other ways in which we continuously take um, the precepts or receive the precepts. Um, in terms of ceremony, um, if you do full moon ceremony every month, that's what you're doing, renewing the precepts again and again and again. I think of what's the reason for that? Where do we go with that? Why is that so important that we have to speak this again and again in this practice? 
it's telling us stuff that we already know, right? We already know that um, we must fully give ourselves to the Dharma, take refuge in it, trust it, embrace it, and let it embrace us in order to live this life as bodhisattvas. We already know that we can't, will, you know, we don't want to willingly go out and do evil in the world. That our lives are not meant to cause chaos and harm. Um, if we truly want to live as Buddhas or know um, enlightenment, whatever that is. We know that these rules, these 10 rules of not doing deluded, crazy, um, unwholesome, um, unhelpful acts and speech and thoughts, um, that's not gonna help anything not going to help us. It's not going to help anybody else. It's going to just cause pain and suffering, which again, we have vowed not to cause. Again and again and again. Why is it so important? We have to answer that for ourselves. We have to hear ourselves saying it again and again. We have to deeply take seriously that vow. The first time I did Jukai, way back when, <laughs> and with my, you know, I, I think I got my hair did the day before, you know, <laughs> and all that. And I'm just sort of remembering. I got, went and got my hair done and I had my little um, suit on, like what I wear for work and whatever, standing in that. We, we, we met in a, um, it, it's, it's the classroom of a massage school is where our group met. And we didn't have, we, Great Tree didn't exist at that time as a temple, um, but the teacher was there. And so we had this room with the skeleton hanging in the corner, totally appropriate. And, you know, our little Buddha on the table um, with the pot full of sand and, the, you know, all our makeshift sort of stuff. And we received our rock sues, you know, that nobody had ever really seen before. You know, a few of the folks I hadn't, before I sold my first rock sue, I didn't know a rock sue existed. Didn't know anything about lineage papers or anything. I spent months sewing rock sue, um, something that I didn't even know what it was really supposed to look like except from a you know, drawn picture, you know, that was in the instructions. 
but we all went through that together with a sort of a real intent to make this real in our lives. Uh, we're all very different people in that group, all different ages. I think I was, one well, long time ago, I was like 28 years old, <laughs> a long time ago. Uh, and there were some folks that were, you know, twice that age there too. But we all felt the importance of it. We all took it seriously. Um, it wasn't about receiving a Roxu. It wasn't about receiving those lineage papers. I've got three Roxus now. Done it three times. So one for somebody else too. But you know, I've got three Roxus now. You know, it's not about the Roxu and it's not about the lineage papers. I, I went, okay, I guess I kind of went mad and actually sewed one of these too. This is not one that I've sewn, but sewn an Okesa. I've got, how many Okesa do I have? <laughs> I think I've got five of those still left. One I had to take apart. I got five of those that I've sewn. What does, <laughs> what the hell? They don't mean anything. But every single time, to have to take those vows, you know, and these are the vows above all other vows. You know, Dogen says, unless we accept the precepts, we are not yet disciples of the Buddhas, nor are we an offspring of our ancestral masters because they have considered one's departing from error and resisting wrong to be synonymous with practicing meditation and inquiring of the way. The words they have made the, precept, they have made the precepts foremost are already precisely what the treasure house of the eye of true teaching is. Realizing Buddhahood and becoming an ancestor have invariably been based on receiving and preserving the transmission of the treasure, treasure house of the eye of true teaching. Again and again, you know, we can't do this without the precepts. In this fascicle, Dogen is mainly talking to his monastics, so the language comes out, you know, that we have to, you know, we can't be transmitted without these precepts and blah, blah, blah. It's not all about that. It depends on what practice you choose, of course. But as whether we are lay people or ordained people or whatever, you know, we have to take seriously the vows of the precepts. We have to speak them often, again and again. And he's talking about 
what we do when we take the precepts. He's talking about um, the preparate, getting yourself prepared for uh, taking the precepts. Concentrate wholeheartedly and take care not to get distracted by side issues. Assuming the form of a Buddha being provided with the precepts and the, and the monastic regulations and acquiring what the Buddha received and made use of are by no means small matters. So how could you possibly treat them lightly? Were you to borrow someone's case as a bowl set and then go up to the altar and take the precepts, you would not really be obtaining the precepts. Should you never receive the precepts, you will be a person devoid of the precepts for the whole of your life as you vainly cross over the threshold of empty scholasticism, meaninglessly accepting the alms given in good faith. Again, he's kind of talking to, to his monastics, but he's talking to, uh, he's talking to them, well, in terms that we can understand. No one can do this for you. Mm. We have to stand, I have to stand, before the altar and make these vows in my own clothes, in my own skin. I can't borrow it from anybody. Uh, nobody can uh, accept, I can't accept them for anybody. I, I, nobody can accept them for me. I have to accept these precepts and I have to work on them, you know. Um, I have the, the charity of others in Sangha to help me, you know, make my way through this morass of delusion to actually actualize the precepts. But I must speak them. I must accept them. I must work with them as I go through this process of, and, and this practice. It's, it's our base, you know. It's our key to the door, or it's our way through the gate to really um, living the Bodhisattva way. In doing that, we can't take them simply as rules. And one, one time my teacher, you know, um, said, to, said to us, he said, kind of jokingly, that they're kind of suggestions, guidelines. Because to apply the, the precepts, you have to be in the now. You have to be here and now. It's not like a rule that says everything should go the same way as it did, you know, 2,500 years ago in India or 10 years ago in Great Tree or to someone looking back to us here that they have to do what we do now. It has to come completely and fully from 
where I am as a being in this universe and all the different changing ways and, and circumstances and situations that are going to come up. I have to continuously look at things with eyes that are completely clear of fear to be able to see it as it is and to respond to it as it is based on these precepts. How I say what I say without killing, without harming, without uh, lying, without disparaging the Dharma with generosity. In this moment, am I practicing those things right now? And this seems a simple thing to say. Seems a, a little simplistic, and there's no way to, I don't know, really say it any, any it, it's what it is. It's, ooh, it's what we have to practice. And nobody can tell you how to do that. Um, but we can help each other and hold each other in this practice, hold each other accountable, hold each other, you know, with sympathy and compassion, um, with eyes that, you know, don't judge, but try to, you know, wipe away a little of delusion for each other as we practice together. So, you know, I don't know when this group takes Jukai. I mean, lots of people do different things, um, especially in America. We do things differently, things different. Um, but at some point, it's going to come up. And for those of you who may have never taken Jukai or may have taken it a long time ago, um, I always encourage people, if you have the time uh, and the intent, do it as many times as you can. There's no saying that you can't do Jukai more than once. You know, it takes a few times to take, maybe 10 or 12. You know, if you've got that much time on your, you know, on your ticking biological clock, you know. Um, and it's a good practice to have, you know, I know sewing a rock, I don't know if you all sew rock shoes, you know, every time or, or not, but to put your um, energy into um, that deep practice. Oh, and I should tell you, if you haven't heard, I'm sure maybe some of you have heard, they're going to be doing a big Jukai, five-day Jukai ceremony out in K. 
California in, in, uh, in celebration of, of, of the 100th anniversary of Zen in America. And those are kind of, uh, kind of mass, and they do up to 100 people at the same time. You don't have to sell rocks or anything for that, but it's a, it's a big ceremony. It's something that goes on in Japan. This is, Zin, it's at Zenchuji, which is a um, Japanese-American temple. And it's part of that tradition, part of our tradition as well. So any opportunity you get to take Jukai, even if it's just to attend a Jukai ceremony and speak those words with the people who are standing in front of the altar, because the whole assembly is supposed to speak those words with them. Um, even that, take that opportunity um, and let it go as deep as it can. You know. And not forget the vows you took. Hold them as best you can. So I think I'll close there. May our intention Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.